Hey yo, you ready? Let's do it. On the program today, we've got NBA All-Star Weekend. Team LeBron versus Team Giannis is the new format of success. We've got AFL. What to expect moving forward over the next five to ten years? Preseason training and injuries. Should we even have it at all? And we've got the ATP Tour Wrap. Gail Monfils and Joe Wilfred Songer are tearing up the ATP Tour early on in the season. What to expect of the next couple of months for the American hardcore swing? This is no holds barred. All of a sudden, niggas got a problem with me. Black, what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat. And you know what? What? For some strange reason, uh, I'm off of this medication, feeling deranged, needing for y'all to put the word out. We ain't leaving. We trying to be rich before we don't stop breathing. Therefore, what? We kind of hustle lanes. Stay laying down our muscle games. Still turn niggas' dreams to flames. You got the wire? If not, I ain't saying no names. You soon expire. No pain. I feel remorse for some cautious. Me and Diddy up first. Raising portions with the big twin valve exhausted. On the cover of your vibes. Double XLs and sauces, bitch. Going nowhere. Because it's bad boys for life. We are back in the studio. No holds barred. A fresh episode coming to you. It's been a huge week in sport, both abroad and in Australia. And uh, we've got plenty on the show today. We've got the NBA All-Star Weekend. We've got, we're going to wrap that up, speak about what went down, what to expect moving forward throughout the rest of the season. Plenty of NBA coming up on the show, getting into the, the final third of the season. We're going to talk some AFL, uh, the Australian Football League, getting underway very, very soon in the month, month of March, I believe. I want to talk to you guys about preseason training in the AFL. Is it too much? Is it too extensive? A lot of injuries and serious injuries to marquee players that are huge assets for their clubs. And is there any value in uh, a traditional preseason anymore? Preseason training. Uh, these days are a lot longer, not only at the AFL level, but in all levels across uh, across the country, country leagues now, 
a lot of lot of time spent pre-season training. Personally, I think it's ridiculous. But the AFL at the elite level, do they need to make changes to that or do clubs need to make changes to that? With players such as Tom Mitchell, Sam Doherty, Jordan Degoe, these guys are huge assets for their clubs, respectively. AFL preseason, it's uh, it's on the agenda. And we've got our weekly wrap from the ATP tour. Overseas, but European tournaments going on. A tournament in New York that uh, I want to discuss also. Why have we got a tournament in New York at this time of the year? Don't they get enough tennis over there with the US Open? Uh, the American hardcore swing before the US Open. A lot of tennis, pro tennis about to be played over there in Miami and in California with the two Masters 1000 events. Uh, it's been a hot talking point. We are going to talk about that. But in saying that, we're going to segue in to the first part of the show. NBA All-Star Weekend took place in Charlotte uh, over the last couple of days and the marquee event on the NBA calendar. It has had a bit of a revamp over the last uh, last couple of years. There seems to be changes going on all the time uh, with the All-Star Weekend. Used to be traditional, the traditional All-Star Weekend used to be the Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, picking the, picking the squads with the fan vote. Plus, uh, plus a coach's vote, I believe. Uh, now, this year, they had uh, Team LeBron and Team Giannis where the conferences have been thrown out. Uh, thrown out, um, And they had a, a live draft on TV where LeBron James and Giannis Otacumpo had to uh, pick their teams. Uh, so the conference is no longer relevant and... I said both players pick their teams in a live draft and then they go head-to-head uh, on the All-Star on the Sunday uh, there in Charlotte in North Carolina. And, you know, did it work? Well, you know, we'll have to wait and see moving forward. I see changes moving forward all the time. Uh, people and the fans, they want uh, they want different stuff. They seem to get bored with uh, the, the traditional uh, way things are done these days. I personally don't understand it if it's not broken uh you don't need to fix it but uh constant change is trying to keep up with with what is going on uh with uh with the all-star weekend and we're seeing these kinds of things in um in australia now uh we do model model a lot of our uh sport on uh the american models and uh you know with the aflx uh controversial about to get started here in a couple of weeks time uh tweaks going on there so um, you know, they are always looking to keep things upbeat and keep things uh, keep things fresh. They don't want things to get stale. And you know, it was uh, it was Team LeBron uh, over Team Giannis in uh, you know a high scoring affair. These All Star games, high scoring affairs now. No defense being played. Uh, it's more of a uh, more of a highlight reel uh, than anything. But on the Saturday, we had uh, the three-point shootout 
We had the, uh, the, the NBA Skills Challenge and we had the Slam Dunk Competition. Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics won the, uh, won the Skills Challenge. Hit a half-court shot against Trey Young in the final to get the win. So uh, Jason Tatum uh, taking it the Skills Challenge. Joe Harris of the Brooklyn Nets won the three-point competition. Now, has, has anybody out there heard of Joe Harris? No, and I hadn't either. Uh, he, uh, he took out uh, Stephen Curry uh, in the final. Curry in the semis really stole the show uh, in his hometown. He made 10 straight uh, threes and five straight money balls uh, in the semis, but it was Joe Harris of the Brooklyn Nets, the three-point specialist, the three-point mad bomber out of Brooklyn, uh, who won the uh, NBA three-point competition. And the dunk competition... Uh, they've really tried to revive this over the last couple of years. It's really got to the stage where how many dunks uh, can you possibly perform uh, to keep things fresh? And it was the Oklahoma City Thunders uh, rookie, Hamadou Diallo, who uh, won the dunk contest. He actually jumped over seven foot one Shaquille O'Neal and jammed the ball down into the hoop and up to his elbow and hung from the rim and then popped his shirt open and he had a Superman uh, a Superman shirt underneath so Diallo won the three point uh, the won the slam dunk competition uh, Dennis Smith jr the New York Knicks now this guy's got plenty of bounce plenty of athleticism uh, he is an explosive uh, explosive young player he was my pick to take it out uh, but he pulled up short uh, what took away from his dunks is uh, the, just the amount of attempts that uh, he had to to really uh, to really get the job done. Uh, time and time again, fans were getting frustrated, uh, and uh, he pulled up short. It was Hamadou Diallo of OKC, uh, 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 a worthy winner uh, there in the slam dunk competition uh, for 2019. Coming up next, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about the game itself, uh, what it may entail moving forward. And we're going to talk about the MVP race. Who's it going to be? Uh, who is? Who, who are the guys that uh, at this stage uh, are in the MVP race as we leave All-Star Weekend and head into the final third of the season um, as we head towards the playoffs in the NBA season? This is Jade Kolf at the Kolf Man. You're listening to No Holds Barred. We're back. No Holds Barred. Talking NBA All-Star Weekend, Team LeBron 178, Team Giannis 164. Yes, that is the score. No defense in this one, but that is what you expect with these uh, these showcase games. Just a few numbers from the game. Giannis himself had 38 points and 11 rebounds. He was an absolute dunk machine throughout this contest. Paul George with uh, 20 points 
and LeBron James himself, 19 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Your MVP for the game, Kevin Durant, Golden State Warriors, 31 points. And uh, it was a consistent display from Durant. Uh, He played for Team LeBron. So mainly uh, in the past, the, the winner of the MVP comes from the winning team. So Durant was always in good shape there on Team LeBron with 31. And he's your MVP for the 2019 All-Star Game in Charlotte. In saying that, the MVP race is hotting up. And as we come into the final third of the season, look, I think pretty much it's a three-horse race at this stage. And uh, to say that Paul George is in the conversation from uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, I would not have said that at the start of the season. But I think he's the best two-way player in the league right now, both offensively and defensively. He's OKC's best player. He's, uh, he's much more efficient than Russell Westbrook. And Westbrook, as, as great as he is, uh, he just can't shoot. He can't shoot anymore, Westbrook. He's uh, shooting uh, something like 65% from the free throw line. Just a few years ago, it was upwards of, uh, you know, mid-80, 83, 84, 85%. Now he's at 65. He can't shoot. He's, uh, you know, he's been criticized for shooting way too many three-point attempts. Uh, But now he is passing the ball to his right-hand man, Paul George, and Paul George is getting the job done for OKC. OKC sit at 37-20, and 20, uh, heading into the final third of the season, and George is putting up an impressive 28.7 points, eight rebounds, and leading the league in steals at 2.3 thefts a game. So Paul George in the race. We have Giannis. The Milwaukee Bucks have got the best record in the league at 43 wins and 14 losses. And Giannis is putting up scary numbers, 27.2 points a game, 12.7 rebounds and six dimes. Also, about one and a half blocks in there as well. Uh, If you were to hand out the MVP now, I think you'd give it to this guy. He is my pick at this stage of the game. The Bucks with the best record in the NBA. I think that carries some weight uh, when it comes to these uh, these most valuable player races. Um, but Paul George is nipping at his heels. And if OKC can finish the season uh, absolutely hot, uh, I think Paul George may, may get to the... Uh, may get the chocolates there. But Giannis, for me, at this stage... And the other guy I want to talk about, James Harden, Rockets 33 and 24 on the season. Now, you know, they were at one stage, they were uh, well below 500, but this guy has gone on an absolute tear. Chris Paul has been injured and Harden uh, has put up a ridiculous consecutive uh, 30-point games. He's averaging 36.6 points a game and 7.7 assists. Now... You know, the ball's always in his hands, but what he's doing scoring-wise is uh, absolutely remarkable. Now, will he be able to continue this uh, throughout the rest of the season? I think it's only a matter of time before James Harden runs out of gas, until he runs out of energy. We've seen this before. He's 
His usage rate is absolutely through the roof. And players that have these usage rates that put up these ridiculous numbers uh, have really failed to have success uh, in the NBA playoffs and, and to, to lead their team to a championship. Now, Chris Paul uh, is, is on his way back uh, from his injury. So that's only going to help Harden. And, and those two guys uh, form the best backcourt, uh, the most dynamic backcourt uh, in the league. And uh, if Chris Paul can get, uh, can get back to uh, you know, 80% of what he's capable of, uh, the Houston Rockets are going to be an incredibly tough out moving forward throughout this NBA season. But Harden, 36, almost 37 points a game. Ridiculous numbers. He gets to the line uh, at will. He does get looked after by the, uh, by the refs. And we are playing a different game now. Uh, the NBA is not what it used to be a decade ago. It's less physical, uh, more outside shooting, more high scoring, less defense. But as the playoffs get closer, you will find that defenses will get better. Refs will start to let, uh, let the guys play a little bit more, less, less fouls. Uh, less time being spent on the line from Harden. Um, so that's only going to make it tougher. But Paul George, the best two-way player in the league. Uh, no doubt about that right now. Giannis putting up scary numbers. He's my pick. And James Harden, he is, uh, he is a one-man scoring machine right now. Um, you know, being isolated at the top of the key, shooting step-back threes, like they're going out of fashion and getting to the rack at will. He is a real handful to guard. And uh, they are the three players in the MVP race at this stage. Keep your eye on those three uh, because it's going to be one heck of a, a finish as the season winds down. Coming up next, we are going to segue into some AFL, Australian Football League. It will be getting underway here in about five or six weeks. I want to talk to you guys about pre-season training and injuries. Are players too valuable of an asset to have them out there on the park uh, doing physical stuff? Um, We've had some superstars that have dropped again before they even uh, play a game for their teams this year. They are done for the year. They are done. Uh, we will talk about some things that I've noticed in the NFL this season uh, with the Los Angeles Rams and head coach Sean McShay. Will AFL teams adopt this uh, moving forward? I think they will. It is controversial. This is Jade Colf at the Colf Man. This is no holds barred. We are back, no holds barred, back in the studio, another episode, and it's an action-packed show as always, with plenty of fire, and I've got plenty of heat coming up now on this next 
topic, and it's AFL football. The Australian Football League will be getting underway here once again in less than a couple of months. Looking about five to six weeks before the uh, before the serious stuff gets underway, and preseason training with all these AFL clubs. They train harder than ever before. Uh, they only get upwards of five or six weeks off after the season finishes and then they're back uh, working on their fitness, working on their uh, on their, their physical uh, capabilities, really trying to uh, get in tip-top shape for the season. But in saying that, is it really necessary? Yes, probably thinking like, what are you talking about? Of course you have to train, but... These days, players are more and more valuable to their clubs than ever before. You've got to look at it like a business. They are assets uh, to their clubs. And when you have marquee players going down with injury that are not going to set foot on an AFL ground this year uh, in your club's colours, you've got to be concerned. And it is concerning. And, you know, it begs the question, uh, is it really necessary uh, you know, bums on seats, memberships, money coming into the club is very, very important. And, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, a player that comes into mind from Carlton Football Club, Sam Doherty, uh, last year uh, he uh, he went down at the start of the, the preseason, okay, serious ACL injury. He is the captain uh, of the club, one of the captains that was selected um, from the club, and he was uh, coming into his prime, Doherty, after coming across from GWS. He had a couple of you know, stellar seasons. I believe he was All-Australian, and he was out. Uh, ACL injury, out for the year, and he was on the sidelines, basically, for that club. And this is just an example, by the way, but you could you know, picture anybody, uh, one of your, your top two or three players at the club, who you look to for leadership, you look to for direction, especially if he's, you know, one of your captains. And, you know, look at it, any marquee player from any club, it's going to have, uh, you know, a, a devastating effect, not only on the playing group, but, uh, you know, on the uh, on the entire season, of course. And Doherty this year, uh, you know, was in full training once again, pre-season training, uh, once again, and then the news flocked through again. He'd gone down again with uh, a similar kind of injury, with an ACL injury. So two years in a row, he's going he's to miss two full years of football from training injuries or mishaps that occur during pre-season training, okay? During, uh, you know, call it whether it's practice games, whether it's, uh, you know, it, it's 360-degree 300, uh, skill, dr- skill drills where you're cutting, turning, whatever that may be, uh, he's gone down again for the count. And the effect that it has on the club is nothing short of absolutely devastating. Hawthorne Football Club, Tom Mitchell, another one. Uh, this guy, you know, dominant last year, dominant ball winner, wins the Brownlow medal. Um, he's going to miss the entire year for Hawthorne Football Club. Broken leg, uh, same kind of thing. Uh Contact injury. Um, not too sure if it was, uh, you know, a serious, serious stress, stress fracture. But if he's missing the entire season, uh, I would imagine it was a compound fracture, a nasty one, just a clean break. Um, 
Tom Mitchell out for the year. And then the other day there, uh, just last week, I read uh, one of uh, Collingwood's uh, marquee players who burst back onto the scene last year, was explosive and dynamic throughout the season. He was, uh, he's had his problems at the club early on. Young uh, Jordan Degoe, uh, who had a foot, foot scare. Uh, looked like he was going to miss um, you know, substantial time. I think the word was up to six months. They thought it may have been a, uh, a fracture of the foot. Um, you know, they, uh, they have reported that it's not as, uh, not as serious as first thought. I don't know if they're just saying that or whether uh, you know, they're just saying that just to, to calm the storm, uh, smooth things over. But um, there seems to, seems to be something happening every single week with, these, uh, with this pre-season training. Now, in saying that, you know, is it really necessary? I believe in the next five to ten years, we're going to have uh, clubs that really throw out the, 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 the kind of pre-season training that they're doing now. Uh, and, I, and I really think we'll see clubs go to a lot of stationary skills work, just kicking in handballs, just, um, just in stationary positions, no 360-degree uh, no running or, or cutting or anything like that. I think a lot of their pre-season work will be based around uh, exercise bikes. So, you know, riding exercise bikes where, you know, you can't do an injury, you can't, uh, there is no contact, um, you know, really working, the, the, getting the cardio up there. Swimming is another one which is great for the cardio. I think a lot of clubs will, will, will get involved in that. And, and as I said, obviously weights uh, in the weight room. So spending a lot of time, obviously, for, uh, for strength and conditioning purposes with the upper body. I believe they still do that now, of course. Um, but, you know, and I think that what it'll entail is a lot of, a lot of, straight, a lot of straight line running. So no cutting, no, uh, no changing directions, uh, cutting corners, uh, 360 degree turning, where we have these, um, we have the possibility of these knee, knee injuries. I think straight line running will be totally enforced, um, with absolutely no 360 degree movement. Now, you may be thinking like, "Oh, that's absolutely crazy. It's 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 ludicrous. You've got to, there's there's no way that'll happen." But I'm telling you now, in the next five to ten years in the AFL, this is what will take place, because players are far too valuable to be sitting on the sidelines for, you know, not only an entire season, but, you know, sometimes two or three seasons because players uh, in meaningless games or meaningless training runs are dropping like flies, going down for the count, all because of the, um, you know, of course, accidents happen, but, um, you know, and their workloads are monitored uh, strictly, uh, you know, one would hope, uh, it, it is professional sports, but clubs you know, they're going to have to protect their biggest assets. It's bad for business when you've got guys going down with broken legs and ACL injuries and they're not able to take part in the season from round one onwards. They'll be sitting on the sidelines, okay, doing their rehabilitation, dressed in street clothes, you know, nice, uh, nice dress pants, uh, collared uh, AFL club shirt, um, and they'll be taking interviews all year long, talking about rehabilitation. That's the only use you're going to get out of these players uh, throughout the entire year. Players such as Tom Mitchell, such as um, Sam Doherty, and in the um, you know in the classes, uh, boom players like Jordan Degoe. And there are more out there. Don't worry about that. But these are a couple of the ones that really sprung to mind. And you may think where this comes from, but there were signs uh, this year. You know, Australian sport, a lot of Australian sport, whether it be rugby league or Australian rules football, 
have have uh, modelled their uh, their training and their draft uh, combines and so forth on the American system, whether that's the NFL combine or the NBA draft combination of the two. Um, there's no doubt about it. We have copied uh, the American system, and we continue to as well. American America is very innovative when it comes to this, and and we've basically modelled our our structure and our pro sports on that. In saying that, this year it came to my attention that Coach Sean McShay of the Los Angeles Rams, who uh, just recently just lost the Super Bowl uh, to the New England Patriots. Um, Sean McShay with the Rams, they had a lot of uh, lot of new recruits that came in this year, a lot of boom recruits, a lot of star players. And what Sean McShay did was he didn't have any contact in practices throughout the uh, throughout the entire season. So no contact, no pads, okay, used through any of his practices, and they'll basically just walk through practices, okay. So. Not going at 80%, 90%, or 100%. They'll just walk through practices, um, what they were going to execute on game day, on NFL Sunday, um, running through the plays uh, at, at walkthrough pace. So there was no contact, no chance of injury. And so players were fresh come, come NFL Sunday. Um, that was McShay's focus. Uh, now, as far as I'm uh, as far as I know, I don't believe anybody was doing that throughout uh, the NFL, but uh, McShay, and he stuck to his guns all, all through the year. Uh, his attitude was, I need these guys fresh for Sunday so they can um, so they can go all out. That's the main thing, and they're not going to be fresh uh, after uh, after a long season if I'm just adding to their workload with um, you know full contact practices and and training days throughout the week. So. He went with the walkthrough practices, so guys were fresh and ready to go on Sunday. Now, this, uh, I don't think this will be a one-off thing. I think you'll start to see uh, franchises and clubs do that next year in the NFL, and it's only a matter of time before uh, someone uh, catches hold of this uh, in in AFL circles and starts to uh, deploy a similar kind of stance, uh, a similar kind of structure. Um, especially when guys are dropping like flies and you're losing your marquee players. Um, so I expect to see this over the next five to ten years uh, in terms of the preseason. I, I don't expect there to be uh, full contact and I don't expect a lot of these clubs to go as hard as they do. I think there'll be a lot of stationary work, uh, you know, with uh, skills work, with, obviously with kicking, handballs and marking. As I said before, swimming, uh, plenty of that. Uh, the exercise bikes will get a, a, a real workout. Weights will continue the same way, and I think there'll be, just be a lot of straight line running with, with, with no cutting and absolutely no 360-degree mo- movement. And, you know, in terms of practice games as well, um, I think they'll be done with as well because when it's all said and done, you want, uh, you want your best guys and your best athletes and your number one assets ready to go round one, and they are absolutely no good. Uh, on the sidelines. I don't think this will be the last you hear of this. I've had guys, uh, you know, say to me, uh, I've spoken about this over the last couple of months. I've had guys say, oh, you're crazy. What a load of rubbish. Well, you know what? Um, It's going to happen. It's really as simple as that. Uh, This is not a load of rubbish. Um, As I said, you've got a a player who you're paying a million dollars a year and you're not going to get him out on the park 
uh, for the next 22 rounds of uh, AFL football. He's just sitting there on the sidelines. Well, he's absolutely useless uh, to your team, to your list, to your franchise, and to your club. So it's only a matter of time before these clubs and these coaching staff say, nah, um, we've got to protect our biggest assets, and the biggest assets are the players, and uh, this is not going to go away. Um, so expect over the next five to ten years, uh, pre-season training and the rigours of it, and what it is able to, what what it's doing to uh, to to the players, okay, that are that are breaking down, um, it'll be scrapped. It's really as simple as that. And if you think that that is not going to be the case, then uh, you are totally misinformed. You've got rocks on your head, and you need to uh, you need to study. Uh, the ins and outs of, uh, of professional sports a little bit more closely. This is Jade Culf with the Culf Man. This is No Holds Barred. We are back. No holds barred sports podcast. Yeah, that AFL thing, man. You can't be having guys breaking legs before the season started. It's ridiculous. Scrap scrap the the preseason full contact training. It's a joke. And it will be scrapped. Don't worry about that. Players are too important. Marquee players are too important. And eventually you will see them wrapped in cotton wool. In saying that, we're going to segue on to the tennis portion of the show. And we'll get into the results of what's been going on in the ATP Tour over the last round of tournaments. But first things first, we're going to talk about Naomi Osaka. The Japanese world number one Australian Open champion, current US Open champion. She won two slams and a Masters 1000 over the last nine months. She's gone from number 70 in the world to number one in the world after her win in the Australian Open in Melbourne. And for all that, her coach, Sasha Bajan, has been sacked. He's been fired and Naomi Osaka will head into Dubai coachless. And it begs the question is, like, what have you got to do to keep your job? Um, yeah, this really rocked the tennis world there about a week ago when news came out and the revolving door on the women's uh, world tour with uh, coaching changes and moves uh, continues. And when I first heard this, people were, uh, people were in disbelief. But what did spring to mind uh, for me personally was uh, this wasn't the first time this has happened. Uh, This occurred back on the men's tour uh, years and years ago when the South American uh, star Marcelo Rios, Rios was was from Chile, uh, when he reached number one in the world, his coach 
uh, at the time was uh, Larry Stefanki from the United States. And Stefanki was a guy who had uh, huge success with a number of players on the, on the men's tour. He spent a bit of time with uh, Andy Roddick as well. But before uh, he took the reins, uh, took the reins with, uh, with Roddick and, and helped him out, uh, he was with Rios. And the crazy thing was when Rios got to number one in the world, uh, uh, he was famous for saying that uh, he, he actually, after reaching that point, reaching number one in the world, same thing happened to Stefanki. He got moved on. He was fired. And the famous quote was Rios saying he just wanted to go in a different direction. Well, when you're number one in the world, the only direction to go is down. And uh, that one uh, from Rios is uh, one of the greatest that I've ever heard. Uh, I just want to go in a different direction. And I think Stefanki was even quoted as saying, well, there is only one way to go from there, and that is uh, back in the direction that we just came from. So... You know, Bajan, who uh, is from Serbia, he was uh, Serena Williams' hitting partner for uh, quite a number of years and has just got into the coaching side of things. And he has learnt firsthand that uh, when you're dealing with egos and you're dealing with, um, you know, sensitive individuals, uh, you can be moved on and, and you are vulnerable. And one week uh, things, are, things are going well and uh, your charge is winning Grand Slam finals, and the next week, um, yeah, you, you're fired and, and you moved on and um, you just don't know what you're, what you're uh, walking into on a day-to-day basis. And Osaka, uh, coachless, she's a bit of a quirky personality. Uh, there were reports that uh, uh, Beijing and Osaka, during their interactions in Melbourne, um, things were, there was a bit of tension amongst the camp uh, and then after uh, after her success there in Australia, um, she's had enough. And uh, Sasha Bajan uh, is uh, is now jobless. Um, I wouldn't think that it'd take too long for him to uh, find uh, find another role. But it just goes to show you uh, on the world tour, uh, especially on the women's tour, uh, a real revolving door with a lot of a uh, lot of coaching changes, uh, players really want to uh, sometimes really lack the responsibility or the accountability that, you know, that really needs to go with it. And more often than not, the coach uh, is the one who's in the firing line. And this one just goes to show you that uh, that even if you are winning and even if you are super successful, um, you, can be, uh, you can be blindsided as well. So uh, Naomi Osaka, it'd be interesting to see uh, who joins the Osaka camp uh, over the next, uh, you know, over the next month to two months? We are coming in after uh, after Dubai. Uh, she has points to defend in uh, the Masters 1000 event that she won there in California, I believe it was last year. So there'll be uh, at Key Biscayne, and then there will be uh, the Miami 1000 down there as well. So coming into uh, a really important part of the season after after the Australian Open. Um, coming up next, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to talk about what went down on the ATP Tour uh, over the last couple of events. We are coming from Europe. Joe Wilfred Songer, Dani Medvedev, uh, Gail Monfils, to name a few. These guys are lighting it up. We'll, uh, we'll talk about those matchups after the break. 
This is the No Holds Barred Sports Podcast with Jade Cole for the Colf Man. Back soon. Uh, I wanna get you in the bathtub with the candles lit. Concert, cause you know it got sold out. The red carpet dick, it just roll out. Go ahead and scream, you can't hold out. We can do it in the pouring rain, running the train when it's hot or when it's cold out. We are back. No holds barred sports podcast. You're joining Jade Colf at the Colf Man. We're on the home stretch here. What about Osaka? Gee whiz. Coaching on tour. The tribulations and the trials. No job security there. No job security at all. We're going to segue into some results on the ATP tour. Over the last couple of events, there was a 250 event over in France, Montpellier, and it was Joe Wilfred Songer last week winning the final 6-4, 6-2 over his French countryman, uh, Pierre-Hughes Herbert. Uh, as I said, 6-4, 6-2, and Songer back on the winning circle there, uh, winning that 250 event. He's as I said, coming back from a serious knee injury from last year. Uh, lost to uh, Novak Djokovic around two at the Australian Open. So really, uh, really great to see Joe Wilfred back. Uh, he is a freight train, that man, and uh, he is an excitement machine. So he's definitely on his way back and expecting, uh, I expect Joe Wilfred to be back in the top 30 here very, very soon. Uh, in Sofia, the Sofia 250 event uh, there in Bulgaria, it was Dani Medvedev. He kept his amazing form up, the, the quirky Russian 6'4", 6'3", over the Hungarian uh, Fuksovics and uh, yeah, Medvedev. He is, uh, as I mentioned there a couple of weeks ago, he is well on his way to uh, to joining uh, the elite top ten, the six foot five Russian serving cannons, and and he is uh, hits a very flat ball, and his uh, his game is very very effective, and uh, yeah, a great win there from Medvedev. He's winning the two fifty events now. Uh, and I'm looking for him to advance uh, deeper into the, the 500 and the 1,000 events. Um, there was an event in New York, the New York 250. Um, I don't know why this event is uh, popped up in New York. They get enough tennis over there in the United States. They're about to have back-to-back Masters 1,000 events over there in uh, California and Miami. And, of course, they've got the U.S. Open and the American Hardcore Swing. So why they're jamming a... A 250 event in New York uh, is beyond me. It was just an event where they could uh, they could play uh, a lot of their uh, young up and comers and give them an opportunity to to get easy points and to get some wins uh, on the main tour. Uh, really looked like a real beat up. And when I saw the highlights, there was about 50 people in the stands. Uh, it really was uh, really was poor and. Uh, I'm not too sure what value that provides having that uh, event there in New York at, at that time of the year. Um, give it to someone else, uh, another country who's, uh, who's uh, starved of professional tennis. The United States don't need another event. Been saying that, it was Riley Opelka, uh, a young American, surprise, surprise, who, uh, who took the title over the Canadian Braden, Braden Schnur, 6'1", 6'7", 7'6". I don't know much about Schnur. He's a Canadian, about 23 years of age, about 150 in the world. Uh, and Riley Apelka, he, uh, 
He had a win over John Isner in round one at the Australian Open. He's about six foot ten, um, and is, is basically a serve bot. Not much to his game, just serving serving cannons. But as I said, the uh, the event in New York, America got what they wanted there. They wanted uh, an event there for all their uh, all their youngsters and up and comers to play. I believe it was about half the half the draw there in New York at that two fifty event were Americans, and there was six of uh, six of fourteen, I believe, in the qualifying draw. So. Absolute joke. Don't get me started on that. Uh, they need to scrap it uh, for next year. Uh, really disappointing, that one there. Um, the Argentinian Open, the 250 event there in uh, Buenos Aires, and it was Marco Cecinato of Italy over Diego Schwartzman, 6-1, 6 you may remember him. He made the semifinals of the French Open there last year, beat Novak Djokovic in, uh, in an epic quarterfinal. Uh, which really catapulted him up to the top 20 in the world. I saw Cecinato up close in, uh, in Australia, and uh, he lost first round in five sets. But, geez, I'll tell you what, he was good to watch. Uh, really fluent serve, runs around, crunches the forehand. Um, I'm expecting big things from him during the clay court season. And I see him, if he can maintain his ranking where he is right now, uh, I see him pushing towards the top 10. Uh, I really do. Um, and Cecinato, a dominant display over, over Schwartzman, uh, 6-1, 6-2. He loves the dirt. He loves the clay courts, does the Italian. And uh, coming into the clay court season, uh, he's one to make a move towards the top 10. And, and last but not least, we had the Rotterdam 500, which was the biggest event over the last couple of weeks. And it was the flamboyant Frenchman, Gail Monfils, uh, had an incredible couple of weeks. These are the players that Monfils has beaten over the last two weeks. He's beaten David Goffin, beat him round one in Rotterdam. He beat the Greek sensation Sissipas uh, last week. Um, and he, he beat Medvedev. He beat Dani Medvedev in Rotterdam in three sets. Then he beat Stan Varinka in the final in three sets. So Monfils, really out of nowhere, uh, I believe he lost round two in Australia, but this is what this this guy's capable of. Um, I said lost to in Bulgaria. Medvedev beat uh, beat Monfils, so he lost to the the winner of that event. But then he reversed it in Rotterdam, beating Medvedev in a in an epic match in three sets, and then he got the win over Stanley Varinka, six three one six six two in uh, in a in a cracking contest. Varinka beat Nishikori in the semifinals there, so Rotterdam was. Uh, Really uh, loaded up with some real, real elite, uh, uh, elite quality athletes and talent there. And Gail Monfils with the last one standing uh, in an impressive display. And when he really uh, is focused and happy and uh, and, and and fresh, uh, he's as entertaining as anyone. I, uh, you know, I believe he's one of the most talented and gifted athletes uh, in in all of world tennis. And it's great to see uh, Monfils. Uh, win arguably just about the biggest event of his career, the Rotterdam 500. He's made he's made semi-finals of Grand Slams before and has been top five in the world. And hopefully Monfils can make a run back to that top 15, top 10 with some consistent results. The tour this week heads to uh, Rio and heads over to Brazil uh, for the South American swing. They've got two events over there. The first one, the Rio 500 on the dirt. Uh, we've got a 250 in Marseille in France. Monfils, is playing there. And then Delray Beach, more, a ten- more tennis uh, stateside. That one's probably the weakest event uh, of the three on display on the main ATP tour this week. I believe Kyrgios, Milman, 
these some of these uh, Australian guys playing in that Delray Beach event because they're able to get into that event. Um, but uh, we will talk more about that uh, on our next episode at No Holds Barred. Coming up next, we're going to take a short break. We'll wrap up the show. This is Jade Colf at the Colf Man. This is No Holds Barred. We are back. No holds barred sports podcast. Live in the studio, another action-packed episode. What about that Monfils out of nowhere? This guy just really turns it on. Sisipas, Goffin, Medvedev, and Varinka. Quality, quality wins. Hopefully he can keep it going. What a show it's been. It's had a bit of everything. NBA All-Star Weekend. Kevin Durant, MVP, 31 points. I don't like it when Durant is cool, calm and collected. He looked really relaxed there in, uh, in Charlotte over the weekend. Need to get him back to Golden State. Start asking him the hard questions. I'm going to give him a break this week, Durant, but he is on watch. Don't worry about that. Looking for those meltdowns. AFL, there's going to be more AFL coming up. As the season gets closer and closer, there'll be plenty to talk about. It's going to be a fascinating season. Unfortunately, Tom Mitchell and Sam Doherty won't be taking part. Broken legs. That uh, preseason, you, you won't have heard the end of this. You will not have heard the end of this. This is going to, this is going to happen. And we'll have more tennis from the World Tour on next week's show. As I said, Brazil, the Brazil Open, the Rio 500. We've got Australians playing in Delray Beach. And then we've got uh, a 250 event in Marseille. And we'll keep you posted on Naomi Osaka, who is coachless after firing her coach, who's going to join the Osaka camp over the next couple of months, if anybody. Maybe she goes coachless for a while. Uh, until they find a good fit, whatever that means. It's been a great show, been fantastic bringing it to you. Stay tuned for the next episode later on this week. We've got a huge week in sports. I'm going to be bringing it all to you on the No Holds Barred Sports Podcast. This is Jade Colf at the Colf Man. We'll see you later on the week. Be the lead that I'm sorry, I'm not on it too. If you want romance, you should just stick who you are really with.